The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at at First first listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that explores the highs and lows of everyday history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're looking back at the fateful day when a young black girl braved a mob of virulent white protesters just to get to school. The day was November 14, 1960. Six-year-old Ruby Bridges became the first black student to attend a previously all-white school in New Orleans. Her arrival was met with extreme hostility by the city's resident racists. They gathered in droves outside the school and proceeded to harass, insult, and threaten the young girl as she made her way into the building. Thankfully, Ruby wasn't alone. She was escorted by her mother and by four federal marshals who'd been stationed there for her protection. Her courage that day was preserved in photographs and later inspired a famous painting by Norman Rockwell entitled The Problem We All Live With. Ruby didn't know it at the time, but she had just become the youngest face of the American civil rights movement, as well as the latest target of rabid segregationists. Ruby Nell Bridges was born on September 8, 1954, in Tylertown, Mississippi. She was the oldest of five children born to Lucille and Aban Bridges. Her father was a Korean War veteran who made his living as a sharecropper. But when Ruby was two years old, he moved their family to New Orleans, Louisiana, in search of a better job. The year of Ruby's birth coincided with a major shift in federal law and American society. The Supreme Court's landmark ruling in Brown v. the Board of Education made racial segregation illegal in public schools. The decision caused an uproar in the southern states, and many communities and schools continued to resist integration for years to come. The city of New Orleans was one of those places. The local school board defied the Supreme Court's ruling and a federal court order for a full four years. 
Then, in May of 1960, Judge J. Skelly Wright issued another federal order. It was a fairly lenient one, allowing for the gradual desegregation of New Orleans public schools beginning with the first grade. Nonetheless, the school board pushed back, ultimately convincing Judge Wright to require an entrance exam for African American students. Under that restrictive plan, any black student in New Orleans who wanted to transfer to a formerly all-white school would have to pass a test proving their academic ability. In the end, only six of the 137 first graders who applied that year were accepted, and Ruby Bridges was one of them. Her parents were split on whether to allow her to attend the all-white elementary school just a few blocks from their home. Her father objected strongly fearing that Ruby's enrollment might lead to mob violence, just as it had in Little Rock, Arkansas, three years earlier. Ruby's mother, however, was adamant that she'd be given the chance for education that her parents had been denied. Abon Bridges eventually agreed to the enrollment, but the family made sure federal marshals would be on hand in case there was trouble. Meanwhile, the school district continued to stall the black children's admittance, and by the time they finally set a date in mid-November, two of the six applicants had decided not to attend after all. That left Ruby as the only black student assigned to William France Elementary. The other remaining three were sent to a different school on the same day. When Ruby arrived on the morning of November 14th, she was met by dozens of angry protesters, many of whom had been organized by the local White Citizens Council. They accosted Ruby and her mother with racial slurs, insults, and death threats. Some carried signs emblazoned with hateful slogans like, All I want for Christmas is a clean white school. One white woman even held up a miniature coffin with a black baby doll inside. Most of the crowd's malice didn't register with Ruby. She hadn't been told that she would be attending a formerly all-white school or that white people would be up in arms about it. To her, all the screaming and chanting and waving of flags just looked like people celebrating, like they did at Mardi Gras. But while Ruby couldn't read the signs or make out the screaming, she understood the message behind the doll in the coffin. The sight of it was seared into her mind, and she later reported dreaming of it throughout the school year. Although she made it inside safely that day, Ruby didn't get to attend any classes. Instead, she sat alone in the principal's office while angry white parents made a scene outside, pulling their own children out of school and vowing not to bring them back. A similar scene played out at McDonough Elementary, where the other black first graders had been sent. Within a week, nearly all of the white children assigned to the newly integrated schools in New Orleans had been withdrawn. On her second day, Ruby went to her assigned classroom and met her teacher, Barbara Henry a white woman from Boston who'd been the only one willing to teach her. For the first several days, they were the only ones in the entire school, as the rest of the faculty and students had stayed home in protest. Some white parents eventually crossed the picket line and returned their kids to school, but even then, they were kept separate from Ruby. The principal would take them, she later explained, and she would hide them so that they would never see me and I would never see them. I spent the entire year in an empty classroom with my teacher, Mrs. Henry. I remember hearing voices, but I never saw kids, and it kept me wondering where the voices were coming from, if they were real at all. Ruby attended school every day that year, 
escorted by her mother and the federal marshals. They were confronted by a racist mob on a daily basis for several months, but gradually the crowd thinned away. It took most of the school year, but Mrs. Henry also managed to convince the principal to allow Ruby to join her fellow students. The girl was eager to make new friends and finally have someone to play with at recess besides her teacher. Sadly, though, the first meeting didn't go as planned. As Ruby later recounted, quote, A little boy said to me, I can't play with you. My mom said not to play with you. And he called me the N-word. And that's when I had my aha moment. The reason why there were no kids here was because of me and the color of my skin. That's why I can't go to recess. And it's not Mardi Gras. I didn't realize what was going on around me until he told me, and that was my first encounter with racism. He introduced it to me. As an adult, Ruby realized that the boy wasn't expressing his own prejudice. He was merely repeating what his parents had told him. Or in other words, as Ruby put it, quote, Racism is learned behavior. We pass it on to our kids, and it continues from one generation to the next. The Bridges family was hit hard by that cycle of hatred. Ruby's father was fired from his job as a gas station attendant. Her mother was refused service at several local grocery stores, and her grandparents were evicted from the Mississippi farm where they had worked as sharecroppers for 25 years. Luckily, some Northerners sent money and other gifts to help keep the family afloat, and the Bridges' friends and neighbors offered their support as well. They made it possible for Ruby to continue attending France Elementary, and over time, she was joined by other black students. The rest of her education proceeded without major incident, and she went on to graduate from a desegregated high school. In her adult life, Ruby worked as a travel agent for American Express for 15 years and got to travel the world as part of the position. She later married and had four sons, before returning to work as an activist for racial equality. She embarked on several speaking tours in the mid-1990s, joined by her first-grade teacher, Mrs. Henry. Ruby also authored a number of children's books about her early experiences and established the Ruby Bridges Foundation to promote tolerance and combat prejudice through education. The prejudice she was subjected to as a child left an indelible mark on her life. But rather than despairing over the past, Ruby has committed herself to building a more hopeful future. Because as her foundation's motto says, racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way by writing to this day at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 